The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... And welcome to the Superman Power Trip of Wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. And with me today for the latest Who Is edition, we are talking to the doctor himself, Mr. HMG, the new Mr. HMG, the doctor himself, Michael Jargo. How are you doing today, Jargo? I'm, I'm doing, man. We finally got uh, Studio 203 up and running. So hopefully, you know, the audio is back to a little bit better quality and whatnot. Um, and, and I guess shout out to the real Mr. HMG, the RBV, who typically would be with us. And, you know, Paz, it's funny because today's show, I, it, it, it all stems from an argument with between you and RBV. And then he chickens out, goes yep. running with a, like a coward with his tail between his legs, not even here to defend his position. But, you know, luckily I agree with him. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and go with that. And I guess you can be mad at me today instead. Yes. Yes. He was definitely scared because I'm like, I got a whole list of stuff of why I, why I, I disagree. So speaking of that, that today, the topic is who is the greatest draw? of all time and by draw this is what i mean and obviously i'm gonna let you go and kind of even elaborate or or maybe correct me on what you think but i'm gonna say draw money maker sells tickets puts butts in the seats he gets ratings depending on, on if they're on tv or not maybe some of the guys that i'm gonna name you're gonna name maybe don't have that tv exposure but we'll get into that later they sell merchandise they sell pay-per-views they are mainstream, whether it be TV, movies, commercials, etc. They also make the other wrestlers they work with the most money possible. What else do you got? Well, you know, if that is going to be the, the qualifications, then possibly my opinion will change just based off of the qualifications. And I know you, you've been putting up polls on the, on the two man power trip Twitter and, and kind of asking people the same questions that we're talking about here on the show, who is the greatest and then fill in the blank. And, and I think there's a lot of things that when people listen to the shows, it's like, Oh, okay, well that's a different qualification than what I have in my mind. And we saw that last week where, you know, Nature Boy just kind of runs away with the pole. And it's like, well, yeah, but when you think about, okay, greatest worker, Nature Boy basically played the same character for like 30 years, you know? And what's the depth of the character and, you know, longevity reinvention. And we, we kind of look at things from a little bit different perspective than what people may consider. You throw crossover appeal in there. Boy, it, it's going to be really, really hard to make a case against Dwayne, don't you think? Possibly, possibly. I think that that kind of not really plays a part into like how good they did mainstream, but I would say a draw like becomes mainstream. Like Flair to me is a mainstream name. Like Andre the Giant, for instance, mainstream name. Not necessarily what they did in the mainstream, but just as long as they're a household name. Um, not the old Jim Cornette. Uh, so is garbage line, but you know what I mean? Like uh, an actual household name where everyone in the household knows who the person is. I always consider that to be a, a drawing factor. Cause that means like, wow, everyone knows who this person is. They must be something. It must be somebody. But I think the overall thing of a draw, you're making the money. You are bringing in the money. You're bringing in the house. You are the house. So I want to start off with the guy who I think is the greatest draw of all time. 
Although I'm not 100% set at the end, we'll, we'll definitely get set. But this guy is leading in the pack for me. Hollywood, a.k.a. the immortal Hulk Hogan. I feel like, to me, set it off. I know there was Bruno before him, and we'll, we'll talk about him as well, who was a great draw. But to me, the Hulkster set off the entire territory to make it a, a regional territory into a global territory. Took a, a little crappy office in, in Hartford or wherever the heck Vince was into a huge office in Stanford, where now today it's going to become an even bigger office. It's so kind of laying the groundwork. The guy who gets Vince's own private plane, the guy who makes Vince a millionaire, the, the guy who makes all the other wrestlers rich. Everyone used to say, hey, if I'm on Hogan's card, I know I'm making more money. Beefcake. Oh, if I'm feuding with Hogan, we're doing a, a four show Western tour and I'm feuding with Hogan. I'm in the main event. It's going to be the most money I've ever made. Uh, if, if Kamala is, is fighting Hogan in 1987 leading up to WrestleMania three, it's the most money Kamala's ever made. So to me, put Hulk Hogan on the card. You put Hulk Hogan anywhere. He's the draw. He's the factor. He's the guy that they're like, man, I made the most amount of money when Hogan was on top. That's why a lot of the guys you don't hear being too bitter about Hogan. They might say stuff about him, but I used to be really uh, bu close buddies with King Kong Bunny. He said, I love Hogan. He made me so much money. Then the next honky tonk man, I love Hogan. He made me so much money. Why? I was on the same card as him. I fought him in the main event. We did a tour together. So to me, the guy's putting all the ass in the seats. The guy that made it go from regional to national to global, the Hulkster, got to be considered, if not the greatest, one of the greatest draws of all time. I, I think you absolutely have to put racist, sexist Hulk Hogan on the list. You know, um, <laughs> the, 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 as I think anybody who's been listening to this series knows, I'm in no way, shape, or form a fan of the Hulkster brother. But you know, I will give the devil its due. Um, Hogan. His influence on this business is so much deeper than just, you know, looking at an individual house at Madison Square Garden on a Saturday night in 1987. You know what I mean? It's what he did for the professional wrestling business, even globally, because, I mean, you know, Hogan, when he was over in New Japan, was absolutely a draw, still putting butts in seats. The, the thing that works against Hogan is just the way that the business has evolved when you start getting into these ridiculous TV deals that, of course, he was never going to get the fruits of the labor, but he had to lay all of the groundwork in order to get to these ridiculous TV deals. I mean, the WWE is not signing billion-dollar TV deals with Fox and NBC Universal without, you know, the previous history of Hulk Hogan, you know? So it, it, I think that's really the biggest difference as we look at this list because we've got some people that we're going to talk about where their job was to put butts in seats. Well, and then you also have other people that of a modern generation, like, you know, a John Cena or a Kazuchika Okada, where the business model is completely different now than what it was 20, especially 30 years ago, where, you know, we're, we're trying to bring in outside advertisers. We're working on these mass TV deals. It's not necessarily about how many butts you put in seats, you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting you have to put hogan on the list but i don't know how highly i can put hogan on the list who do you think in the history of wrestling drew better houses than hogan let's just say houses butts and seats in the arenas is there anybody that outdrew hogan well and and that's a hard one too because even just look at the wrestlemania era you know when we went from arenas to stadiums you know and it's like they were putting more butts in seats, you know, because did Hogan ever wrestle in front of, you know, 110,000 people down in uh, Texas? I, I don't think so, you know, but, but 60,000 in Canada, 93,000 WrestleMania three. I mean, he had some big houses, obviously Orndorff with the, the, the big event was awesome too, but and, and I, that's, the houses themselves are so much bigger now than what they were when Hogan was on top. You know, it used to be, if you draw 12, 15,000 people, that, that's a sold out building any night of the week at any place throughout the country. And now we've got these stadiums that are just massive and they're running them way more often, but it's the brand that's putting the butts in the seats, not the talent on top. So that's a definite point for me. Cause it's like, okay, WrestleMania, it wasn't the brand. It was, it was Hulk. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Hulk drew the house. Absolutely. Even WrestleMania three. I know Andre definitely plays a big part, but it's Hulk drawing the house. So that's got to be put into the consideration for me being a great draw because it's like, okay, they can run all these big stadiums now and Cena can even be part of the show. Nobody cares. Everyone cares about the brand of WrestleMania. Like you almost forget who he wrestles sometimes, Cena. If he's not right, right facing Rock in the main event, it's almost like, wait, who's he fighting? Bray Wyatt? Who's he fighting? Uh, Rusev? Like you almost forget about it because he's not a part of the, the the draw, the grand scheme of it. Hogan, it's like who who's Hogan fighting? Okay, I'm getting a ticket. What's well, going on? Hogan? Uh, getting a ticket. With that said, you mentioned a name just a minute ago that is very very high on my list, and that is Andre the Giant. Mine too. When Hogan wrestled Andre, I don't know how many of those butts were in those seats because of Hogan. Andre was way more over than Hogan at that time. Andre was a draw all upon himself, which is why Andre didn't need the title, right? Because Andre was an attraction all by himself. He didn't need to be the champion because he was Andre the freaking giant. And to me, when you are a draw, when you are actually over, my definition of over is my mother-in-law knows who you are. Right. Everybody knew who Andre the Giant was going into WrestleMania 3. I mean, he'd been around forever. And even people that weren't pro wrestling fans were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who Andre the Giant is. And without Andre, does Hogan become that draw? You know, so, I mean, we, we can also go back even further, you know, where it's like, okay, well, Hogan doesn't get, you know, the, the credit for these TV ratings, but he laid the foundation. Well, you know, guys like Andre laid the foundation for Hogan, too. You, so, to me, Andre would be very high on my list. Hogan, <clears throat> just going back to him for a second. It's kind of the reason why there is WrestleMania. If you really, I mean, and we've talked about WrestleMania about four episodes, if you want to go in the archive and check that out, but how important he was of a figure, just him and of, of itself. But I love using, like you said, your mother, I love using my father-in-law because not really a sports guy, not really a wrestling guy, knows who Hogan is, knows who Andre the Giant is, okay. watches car shows, so he knows who Bill Goldberg is, which is funny because it's like, oh, wow, you know Goldberg is? Like, that's kind of cool. But He's like, oh, the Hulkster. Oh, look at what Hulkster up to. Or he sees him in a commercial for errands or something. He's like, oh, Hulk Hogan. It's just, to me, he was like the original draw where it's like, okay, uh, NBC will do Saturday Night's Main Event and we'll get a huge 33 million people watching. Obviously, Andre plays a big role in that too. Um, but uh, let's do an Old Spice commercial. Let's do this commercial. Let's also get a figure line or an action figure, or a, do- a toy line, a doll line, whatever you want to call it. He was kind of like, oh, shit, this guy is a superhero. You got He-Man, you got G.I. Joe, you got Lionel from Thundercats, and you got Hulk. And let's make all the other guys and make the line, even to the point where when Hulk left WWF, the toy companies were like, wait a second, where's Hulk? Oh, he doesn't work here anymore. Well, there's our deal. We no longer want to do business with you. Let's go see wherever Hulk is. So, like, the money always seems to follow Hulk. And obviously, if you put inflation in and you make it nowadays the money – Hogan's would be obviously obviously would be more than than you it would be when we're really breaking it down and looking at it back in the day. But still, I feel like wherever he went, he was the draw. He was the guy. Commercials, like everything that has to do with wrestling kind of predicated on Hogan. And I know some people get mad at that, but it is a lot to do with the Hulkster. Well, the problem that I one of the issues, I guess I should say, that I've always had with Hogan was that's all true if he only would have put other people in a position to become the next Hogan. Like, you know, my issue with Hogan has nothing to do with the early days of WrestleMania, his return to the WWE. It's what happened towards the end of WCW, what happened at TNA. Like there was so many opportunities for Hogan to really help that next generation become the next draw, but I got to do it myself, brother. You know, Hogan must pose. It's just... You got to protect yourself, brother. And while I believe that's absolutely true, you also have to know when it's time to give back. And and I that's what we never really got out of Hogan. So it's just, for me personally, I have to separate the artist from the art. And with Hogan, that's really difficult. What about putting over the warrior? I don't put over the warrior. I, I, if I see you on the street 
and you are wearing an Ultimate Warrior t-shirt. I am the guy that's going to walk up to you no, on say, the street what? and say, you know he was a terrible human being, right? No, I'm saying when Hogan put over Warrior, I'm saying he put clean in the ring, WrestleMania 6. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. How'd that work out for the company? Yeah, that was the last time Hogan's like, I'm never doing that again, brother. Do you how think, that worked. Do you think that played a role into him not wanting to put the next guy over because that, that didn't quite you know work out like he thought it would have? Um, absolutely, but I don't know if that was consciously or subconsciously. You know what I mean? Because let's face it, that experiment did not work in any way, shape, or form. And I don't even know how much of that you can put on Warrior. Like Warrior is a guy that like if we were looking at a microcosm, Warrior would belong on this list, right? Because has anybody ever got hotter faster than Warrior did? I mean, people still putting over the ultimate warrior, not knowing that he was a terrible human being. Um but the problem with Warrior is very much like Sting. When Sting took the title from Flair, they spent so much time building Warrior up, they didn't build up any challengers for him. Yeah. And so everything just fell apart once he got to the championship. It had to literally get Rick Rude back. And like, hey, Rick, we, we really need you again. And by the way, you're headlining SummerSlam. Well, did, did you watch? I think that was the A&E one um, on, on Warrior that they had wanted Jake in that position. And I kind of looking back at it, I could absolutely see where Jake Roberts would have been in that position. And then Warrior being like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And so they had to pivot back to Root. Jake's timeline was off, though. When he was mentioning what year it was and around the time frame, his timing was off. So I don't know if he screwed up or not, because he was a baby face at that point when Warrior was uh was champion so i'm not sure if he's his timeline is screwed up because warrior's champ is 90 he's talking about 91 after hogan was champion already after hogan just beat slaughter and was going in so i think his timeline was off um and he kind of screwed that up but i wouldn't have minded the heel jake against warrior uh for the title or even yeah. a longer dibiase feud but dibiase kind of cooled off by that point well and it's not like it ever would would have been difficult to turn jake heel i mean right Right, he was one of those characters where you had to know at any given moment in time, the other shoe could drop and Jake Roberts would go heel. Um, Jake is one that he could have been so much bigger if he would have just gotten to that position, you know. Yep. So Hogan is definitely very, very high up on my list, and I'm thinking like, okay, did he get ratings? Yes. Did he sell merch? Probably more than anybody ever. Uh, pay-per-view buys, yes. And then what really puts me over the top for Hogan, just to stay on him, just because, you know, I'm a Hulkamaniac and I love him. So he has this whole babyface run, basically 84 to 93. We talked about before how many main events he wrestled in and how many manias, how many shows he sold out, this, that, and the other thing. Sold all that merchandise. Goes to stud WCW. You know, he's doing okay with uh, Hulkamania. It's kind of dying out, though. Then the NWO. Then the resurgence of wrestling. Then it kicks off again, and we kind of get it go, you know, get it into the stratosphere when Austin kind of takes over. But there would be no Austin without the NWO, without that heel turn, without everybody, literally everyone saying, like everyone in school, the teachers, uh, the parents, everyone going, Hulk Hogan turned bad. It's in the newspaper they're talking about Hulk Hogan turned bad. I mean, that was such big news. And if you weren't that big of a draw, nobody would care. If you are a huge draw and you turn from uh, face to heel, and then all of a sudden your merchandise again is the number one bestseller. So not only are you the best baby face, you're the best heel, and you're selling all this merch, which kind of goes against the the wrestling psychology. Like right. heels, heels don't sell merch, but the NWO is so cool. He obviously, Hall Nash, huge part of that, don't get me wrong there but hogan was was the key without him turning heel without him stabbing everybody in the back brother it wouldn't have got to that point so to me i'm like wow not only did he have the best baby face run he might have had uh, the best heel run which set off the austin era and the attitude era and everything else but without hogan and nwo being that big draw it's not happening well and funny enough once again to go back to jake Austin 316 doesn't happen without Jake the Snake Roberts, too. You know, so it's it's interesting how he kind of keeps coming up in this conversation. Um, you, you could make the argument that Hulk Hogan ruined wrestling with the NWO, too. Uh, like you said, I mean, you know, like all of a sudden everybody was on the bad guy's side, you know, and, and the poor baby faces going up against the NWO. You go out there and the NWO is getting cheered. 
and you're you're the baby face, so you're working completely against that, you know, in a weird way. That kind of ruined wrestling. It, it's kind of weird. Um, but I absolutely get what you're saying. And and for me, that was just karma, you know, because you know what what Bischoff and Hogan did to Vince for those 83 weeks, I, I'm sure somewhere Vern Gagne was just like. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks when somebody raids your talent roster, huh, Vince? Yeah, because like, let's keep in mind, Hulkamania was running wild long before Vince McMahon got a hold of it. Uh, oh, yeah. It was just the marketing machine that Vince had in, in Vince's mind at that time. Like, they can't make another Hulk Hogan now. The, the way that Vince is wired is not the same as it was back in those early days of WrestleMania. It was the marketing machine that Vince put behind Hogan that just took Hulkamania to a whole nother level. But Hulkamania was going crazy in the AWA, goes crazy in the WWF. Like you said, it starts to kind of die off. And that's why Vince made the change to Warrior to begin with, right? Because he thought Hogan was done. Because he could see the, the death of Hulkamania coming, and they really milked it for at least 18 months to two years longer than what they should have. And then when they finally turned him heel, it was like, okay, here we go. Now we can reinvest in Hogan again. But Hogan was really kind of floundering there for all of the money that Ted Turner, billionaire Ted, you know, gave up to, to Hogan. With the Hulkster and the NWO, obviously their reign of dominance ends and the arguably according to Vince McMahon, the greatest draw of all time, which is funny that he says that because he's definitely saying it to put a needle in Hogan too. Because him and Hogan were not getting along at this point when he kept saying it. The biggest draw in the World Wrestling Federation history, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who, by the way, was a gigantic draw, but was he as big of a draw as Hogan? And would there be a Steve Austin without a Hogan? Well, and the thing that works against Austin is it was so short. You know, where it's like, you know, some of these guys were talking about guys like Hogan, guys like Flair, that it did it for 30 years. And Austin did it for like three. You know, it, it was just so hot, so fast. But when you talk about Austin and even Hogan at that time, you got to remember there was like, you know, eight, 10 million people watching professional wrestling at that time every Monday night. Austin, the, the only thing that works against him was tenure because it was so short. It was such a flash in the pan. And then the supporting cast, too. But, I mean, that really was Monday Night Raw there for about three years was the Stone Cold Steve Austin show. Austin would come out. He would open the show. Austin would be throughout the entire show. And then you would get Austin in the main event. It, it was the Stone Cold show. And Nitro was kind of the NWO show, mostly because there were so many freaking guys in the NWO. They were on every segment. With Steve Austin and Hogan, to, to obviously to a big extent, too, when you go to live shows and, you know, you, you feel the energy in the building, I feel like whoever the draw is, like that's when the building becomes alive, if you will. I mean, or, or like, you know, the shaking from the rafters or the roof's going to blow off. Austin Hogan, the two guys to me, when I go to the live shows, they always had that where like like your hair stands up or whatever. You like feel like, oh, something's going on. It's some sort of energy. Boom, Hogan's out. Austin's out. Everything is raised. You see all the T-shirts <laughs> all over the place. It's those guys, the merchandise. I feel like if you think about like, okay, who drew the house and those guys are the main events or that it's their show, it's those guys, especially going to those Attitude Era shows with Austin. I went to a house show in, in Philly, which was the same venue it was at for uh, WrestleMania um, 15. The house show sold out. The house show, he's in a main event in, in, in a four-way. Uh, I think it was uh, Foley, Kane, Undertaker, and him, and Big Boss Man was a ref, something like that. But that, it, it was sold out because everyone wanted to see him and has see him stunner Vince and Shane and everything else and drink the beer. But it's just like, man, like this guy is the draw. He is just unbelievable. You, I haven't felt this energy since I used to go to Hogan and the WWF. Like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of presence, that kind of guy. I always think to me, is like, who drew the house? Invariably, I, saw, I saw Warrior Live. Mm -hmm. um, Hogan was not on that show. That was really the only show that I remember going to when I was that young. Um, but being in the crowd for that Austin pop, 
when that glass would shatter, that Austin pop was something just inexplicable. Um, especially if you happen to be at a TV taping or if they were running live uh, where I am, we normally had the tape show, but man, it was just ridiculous. You can't really explain to somebody what it's like to hear that glass break in a live setting. Um, if you smell what the rock is cooking, when that would hit, the place would come unglued. And the only thing that I have had even remotely close to either one of those guys, I guess to, to throw it to my first one from over in Japan is Kazuchika Okada. When that coin drops, the environment just changes. I don't know how to explain it to somebody who's never gotten to see Okada live. Um, it is just the atmosphere changes when those guys enter into a room and you look at the business that new Japan is doing and has done really during the course of the last eight to 10 years, most of Okada's run, they're selling more tickets in the Tokyo dome now than they have in 40 years. Yep. What you got to attribute to him. I mean, people can laugh and say, oh, Japan, oh, Okada. If you look at ticket sales and you look at the Tokyo Dome, this is the dome, people. I mean, it's a big big arena holding. You're you're talking 60,000 people. Right. And I know they cut off portion of it because of the big uh, fireworks display and the big board and the Tron and stuff. But still, for years, they were struggling. All of a sudden, they put this guy in the main event and they're selling out the dome again. They're they're doing all this other stuff. So I know people will be like, oh, Japan. No, you have to look at it realistically because Japan is a great place for a lot of the gaijins, a lot of the Americans and guys from all over the place to go make a ton of money like Jericho did and make a ton of money for a short period of time and kind of create a global brand for yourself. And Okada, man, talking about pops, usually a huge pop. I know the Road Warriors, we might, we might not talk about on the draw side, but uh, what a pop. Austin, what a yeah. pop. Hogan, what a pop. Certain guys, and it's only very, very few, have that ability to get that pop. And the other thing about Okada, and this went so under the radar here in the States, you want to talk about over. The guy was asked to carry the Olympic torch. That's how freaking over Kazuchika Okada is in Japan right now. Um, I, I, I think he it's hard to put him on this list up against guys that are selling tickets here in the States when he's working such smaller buildings. But the thing that is interesting is the business model hasn't changed in Japan. You know, like they are still getting paid off putting asses in seats. And there's a reason Kazuchika Okada has been working on top for the better part of a decade at this point, Okada and Tanahashi, Uh, Tanahashi kind of the, the John Cena, of new Japan pro wrestling, carrying them through the dark times. But boy, has Okada taken that ball and just taken off with it. And you've seen the fruits of his labor over the course of the last few years in really Japanese pro wrestling, because much like the WWE is here when the WWE is doing really, really good. The entire pro wrestling business in the United States does much better when New Japan Pro Wrestling is is clicking on all cylinders over there, now you're seeing a reemergence of All Japan. You're seeing a reemergence of Dragon Gate. You're seeing the reemergence of Pro Wrestling Noah. The Joshi promotions like Stardom are getting more exposure. Hell, we had two Stardom matches inside of the Tokyo Dome this year. There's absolutely no way that happens without Bushi Road and the face of the company, Kazuchika Okada. Also, by the way, he sold out and headlined a little venue in the states called madison square garden which jay white would tell you that he did that single-handedly all by (laughs) himself because he is such a great heel kind of a big deal though to be honest to uh, sell out msg right a little bit of a big deal and and you know people want to talk about ring of honor well ring of honor sold no no new japan pro wrestling sold out that building because everybody we could see the writing on the wall that it was going to be kenny omega versus kazuchika okada Obviously, that did not happen because Omega left to go start another pro wrestling company. So we ended up with Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada. But Kazuchika Okada put those asses in those seats in the garden. No doubt about it. With, okay, so we're talking about Hogan, obviously. Austin had to be named. You mentioned his theme song. What about The Rock? It's one of the biggest draws. Is that a longevity thing, too? You can't give it to him because he wasn't around long enough? Well, you say that, but... What is the biggest pro wrestling match in the world right now? The match that everybody is dying for 
is Dwayne versus Roman, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you could sell out any arena in this country, I would think within minutes with The Rock versus Roman Reigns, you know, because The Rock has become. Did you think, did you see it? In 1997, 1998, 1990, did you see The Rock becoming the global icon that, I mean, more people know who Dwayne Johnson is than know who The Rock is at this point. It's it's insane, the star that Dwayne Johnson has become. And it's funny, my buddy, who kind of lapsed wrestling fan, but he used to be a huge, huge fan when we were first row, WrestleMania 15, Austin, Rock, they fell on our laps. That's how close we were. When they were rolling the crowd, they fell on us, but- he was mentioning to me the other day, he goes, remember when he goes, remember SummerSlam 98, uh, the um, Highway to Hell? He goes, Rock was kind of getting booed, not that popular. He goes, that was kind of the event that I noticed because we our, our section was really like cheering him strong. It was us and a bunch of younger guys that were our age. I think we were about 16 or 17 then. Basically, our, of our age and, and genre and stuff, it's like, we were chanting rock, rock, rock. And all of a sudden we see the momentum building and building. It's like, okay, he's, he's, he's getting there. He's going to be a main eventer. Never did we foresee like <laughs> the Hollywood and like the number one star. We're like, this guy is great. Oh, he's, he's such an awesome heel. He's such a great star. He's going to be a main eventer. And then it's like, okay, I didn't know he's going to be the high speed actor of all time. Like, okay. Especially after seeing Scorpion King. I mean, Scorpion King got drugged through the mud and people yeah. were like, this guy cannot act. Like yep. he's out there to go out there and do like, you know, maybe some action sequences or something, but there's no depth to this guy. He's not a good actor in any way, shape or form. And now he's like the highest paid actor in the history of the freaking world. So much so that there's a couple things that work against Dwayne, right? Because Dwayne could have put so many more asses in seats, but he decided to go Hollywood instead and now I don't know if we'll ever see another Dwayne the Rock Johnson to where, like, even John Cena, right? Like, John Cena is trying to do the whole Dwayne the Rock Johnson thing. He's not even on the same freaking planet as Dwayne nope. is at this point. Nope. You know, but Batista's had more success than Cena in Hollywood. But, and but we saw this with Batista where the film studios are like, uh uh-uh, uh, if you're coming out here, you're done wrestling because. Rock, when he had that one return here a few years back and ended up tearing a pectoral muscle, and the next thing you know, you're throwing production of Fast and the Furious you know, behind for six months. So now you have these insane insurance policies and the, the way that the Screen Actors Guild reacted to that and whatnot. Will we ever see anybody come out of the pro wrestling world and go Hollywood again and have that level of success that, you know, guys like the rock have had guys like Batista have had, I'm hearing rumors of Roman reigns versus John Cena for SummerSlam. Do you think all of the movies that John Cena is making that Hollywood is going to let him do that? What is that going to cost Vince for an insurance policy? And is there anybody else that hasn't gotten over to that point that Vince is going to allow to get over to that point? Because Dwayne was kind of the last one, right? Like when he left Vince, Vince made a very conscious effort that said, we're never going to let this happen again. Like we're going to have our guy. It's going to be John Cena, or now it's going to be Roman Reigns. And we're going to protect them as much as we can inside of the booking, but we're never letting them get over to the point where he can damage my business that much. If he leaves again. Right. hundred percent with uh, Cena, by the way, sticking on him. Excuse me. Mm. So he, to me, is not. But Rick was the one that was arguing to me that he's the greatest draw of all time because he's saying, look how much money they're making now. Look at the TV yeah. deals now. Because of his PG stuff, that enabled Vince to do that and get that. But to me, that's not so much on him. That's the genius of Vince and the way he positioned the company. Yes, you need that top guy to kind of show people, hey, look, we're PG, where we could do things the right way. And he, here's a very marketable face. Here's a very clean guy. But besides the merchandise sales, was he there as a moneymaker? Was he there as like the guy drawing the house for the shows? That's my only thing against Cena is 
like when Punk became on top, you start reading all these reports that Punk was selling more merchandise than Cena. I was like, wait a second, I thought Cena was the merch guy. Nope, Punk was. Oh, house shows. Let's see who who was doing the better house show: the A Cena show or the B Punk show, which had Daniel Bryan on it. Then I looked at those numbers: Punk and Daniel Bryan were outdrawing the Cena shows. I was like, okay, so I know that's only one or two years of that, and you could say before that Cena was a draw, but. To me, Orton was getting a big push then. He was kind of like the the one A, the one B to, to Cena for a while. Jeff Hardy was outdrawing Cena merchandise wise for for a brief period of time. I know that people are going to say, "Oh, that's just a flash in the pan." That was just a little bit. But to me, there wasn't a guy like even Warrior, the second most popular guy, wasn't outdrawing Hogan in merch. He wasn't out popping Hogan. He wasn't getting uh, the, all the merchandise sales Hogan was getting. Hulkamania was the dominant thing. So Cena was never the dominant guy. It's just an interesting thing to me that Rick could really, really, really push push my buttons here on the Cena thing and say that <laughs> that Cena was the number one draw. But I, I just I just don't see it with him. I know he's a great merch seller, but even WrestleMania, main evented 22, main evented 23, came back and had a big return in, in 08. Did not main event WrestleMania 24. Did not main event WrestleMania 25. Did not main event WrestleMania 26. 27, he was the main event against the Miz, but it was all about The Rock. And then he did 28 and 29, which was more predicated because he was wrestling The Rock. And then he never main evented WrestleMania since. So to me, it's like, man, I don't know if this guy was technically the draw. Yes, the stalwart of the PGA or the guy that Vince put the flagpole on. But to me, I, I just can't put him because... Is he the ticket seller that, that the other guys we mentioned were? Probably not. Is he the butts in the seat guy? Is he the ratings guy? No. Is he the pay-per-view guy? No. And I know eventually they go to the network, but really, I don't know. I'm not feeling it with uh, Cena being a top draw. The Cena, it's funny because a lot of this is the very first conversation that we ever had. Um, yeah. was was discussing what is the legacy of John Cena. Um, because he arguably the most polarizing figure in all of pro wrestling history, but the, you talk about WrestleMania, WrestleMania is still the one show that is really for the fans, right? Like, I feel like WrestleMania is thank you for putting up with our bullshit for the entire year. Now here have this one great show. The problem is the rest of the year was built around John Cena and WrestleMania was not because we were not the target demographic for John Cena. They were going into the PG era. They were going into the corporate era. And why did John Cena sell so much more merch than everybody else? It wasn't because he had one t-shirt that sold so great. It was that he would bring out a new shirt every six weeks and then you would have your six-year-old, your seven-year-old, your eight-year-old who is watching the product because that's who the TV is actually geared towards now. Oh, I need that new John Cena shirt. Oh, I want that new John Cena shirt. Oh, WWE is coming. John Cena is not even on the card, but they're selling John Cena merch. And that's who my kid wants the t-shirt for because they love John Cena. Even though he is so corny that our entire generation cannot stand the freaking guy, he's selling a ton of merch. He's just not selling it to the wrestling fans. And that's kind of, to me, what John Cena really is because not only was he geared towards the kids and getting that PG era over, he was also the corporate draw. He didn't necessarily put asses in seats, but he put advertisers in Vince's pockets. The billion-dollar TV deals aren't happening without John Cena because John Cena draw that market in. You know, oh, we're trying to break into the China market. John, can you go learn Mandarin in two weeks so we can send you over to China to go to a press conference all in Chinese? Oh, yeah, I can do that, boss. There's no way that Batista is doing that. You know, it, John Cena was possibly the biggest corporate stooge since Jerry Briscoe. It was just he was on top during the time, you know, and. I think there is absolutely something to say for that. The company's never made more money than they did under John Cena. And it's all because of television rights. And that's all because of John Cena doing, you know, the, the legwork, doing all the make-a-wishes, getting himself over with the kids, getting himself slimed on Nickelodeon, like all this 
stuff that had absolutely nothing to do with catering to the actual pro wrestling fans. And now if I want to use the mother-in-law test, if you want to use the father-in-law test, John Cena is about the biggest name that they have produced really since Stone Cold Steve Austin for better or for worse. You know, so John Cena, he's a very, very interesting one. Again, going back to our very first conversation, what really is the legacy of John Cena? Because I don't know. I can't put John Cena into that box. He absolutely deserves to be mentioned. He's the greatest corporate draw of all time, unquestionably. He's making so much money. There's a reason that Vince paid John Cena all the money that he paid him over the course of the years. So I don't even know where to classify John Cena anymore. Very difficult for me, too, because it's like, okay, they're talking about bringing him back. So, yes, he obviously is a big draw and bigger than everyone today minus Reigns as far as a draw on the roster. Because as soon as people say, oh, Cena's coming back, that's going to be a draw for the show. And that's going to be something interested. Don't know if it's going to be. we don't see it when he shows up. Like, TV ratings don't move. That's that. That's exactly where I was going. It's so weird, though, because yes, and we're thinking, yes, seeing a big name, big name, but then nothing changes. It's weird. Like when The Rock returned, I know it's more rare of a return, but when he returned to SmackDown, you saw two million people right. up. Like, it's, but Cena, when he came back, remember he had that brief run where he was coming back and doing the AJ stuff. I mean, we're going back a few years, but then even the Bray Wyatt stuff. When he comes back, it's like flatline so it's weird you don't necessarily always see him being the big draw like for instance like the hogan numbers if you look at his numbers or the austin numbers or, or the rock numbers oh you always see like oh, the uh, the arrow going up like okay cena is a really weird one for me because you know he sells merch because you see all the kids wearing this stuff you, right. you you know he's mainstream because you see him in the experian commercials and, and all this other kind of stuff and and fast and the furious playing the villain and all that good stuff where, where you know the guy's a draw and he's important, he's a name, but it's weird business wise and, and like ratings wise, pay per view wise, whatever you want to say, you just don't see it with him. So he is an enigma of all enigmas. And it's it, Roman Reigns is going to be the same way. Yeah. You yep. know, like because one of, one of the biggest metrics that they have now is social media engagement. Well, Roman Reigns is over huge in freaking India for one reason or another. So like his segments on Monday night raw get like 2 million more views on YouTube than anybody else's uh, John Cena got over in ways that the pro wrestling fans never really saw, you know, because yeah, we're, we're, we're not seeing any kind of move in the ratings, but you, you look at all the other revenue streams, you look at, you know, WWE Network. Does that exist without John Cena? Probably not. You, you look at how much money they were making off of YouTube at one time. Does that happen without John Cena? Probably not. You know, so there's all these other weird, strange metrics that you have to consider when it comes to John Cena that uh, who knows where you even plug him in at. The thing is, to me, also about like the TV deals and the Peacock billion dollar deal and the Saudi Arabia billion dollar deal. Thing you always hear about is, hey, can Hulk Hogan still wrestle? Hey, uh, can Steve Austin come over? Like, it's just a weird thing that those are still the names. Not even Cena mentioned. Peacock was saying that, hey, your library is awesome, and you always see Hogan slamming Andre and the Austin stuff. Like that's the stuff that everyone that's buying that stuff is remembering. It's almost like they skip over the Cena period. They're like, oh yeah, like all your classic content. So the Peacock deal was kind of strengthened by the, the the content that they had in the network, not only for having live sports for future shows, but it's like, okay, the Hogan stuff, the Attitude Ever stuff, the Austin stuff. That was the real key selling point. And then Saudi Arabia, the fact that they think that Hogan still can wrestle, they. They think Warrior's still alive. They right. think like Yokozuna's still alive. It's just they funny. wanted Andre. Yeah, they wanted all these old names. So it's it's like the appeal of the old guys is kind of what gets the new guys this money. But nobody is realizing it except for the guys you know in the corporate world. Like shit, our classic content is really selling us here. And the Cena stuff is like you know it starts on a plateau and then it goes down ever since as far as numbers wise. But not Vince Dollar wise, because he was able to turn it into a corporate machine. The the one thing about Cena that you absolutely have to give him credit for. Number one, it's hard to be as squeaky clean as John Cena is. I mean, right. yeah, there there is some stuff, you know, like with his first marriage and whatnot. But John Cena might have saved the WWE. 
because he was the perfect guy to have on top after the whole Chris Benoit thing. Like he, right. he became that face and it was a direct result of the whole Chris Benoit thing. If that doesn't happen, I don't know if he, he would have went with John Cena. Maybe Vince would have went with Batista if it wasn't for the whole Benoit thing. Right. But I mean, just personality wise, John Cena was the right guy for the job at that time. And clearly it, it worked out for Vince going with Cena. With Hogan, Austin, Cena, uh, Rocky, we're mentioning all these guys. Would they be in the place they're at without a guy like Bruno San Martino, who was such a big draw and kind of set it off? I know we're saying Hogan was kind of so important. He set it off for everybody. But would there be a Hogan without a Bruno? I always would like to throw his name out there because, you know, there's, we're getting to the point where his prime is like 50 years ago or 60 years ago and everyone forgets. But Bruno got to be considered, no? Well, and the thing with Bruno is Bruno was doing it before national TV exposure. You know, that, that's the thing that's just incredible. Selling out the garden as often as Bruno would sell out the garden without any kind of TV exposure outside of, you know, that New York area. Quite impressive. Um, I, I think you absolutely have to put Bruno in there. I'm curious how Bruno would have translated to that national audience, because at that time, Vince was so into doing the the stereotypical racial kind of angle. And that was a whole, like, he went with Bruno on top because of the, the large Italian population of New York. Like, he, everything was very, very cultural. Do you think Bruno would have caught on on that national level the way that somebody like a Hogan did? Or was he catered too much towards that audience? I think he was catered perfectly for that audience in, the, in that time period. I don't know, H Hogan is definitely more of a global guy to me, like a more national, like he can build it, throw the company on his back kind of guy. Although Bruno, obviously, he and he still he drew in Japan too. So, I mean, Bruno definitely ha had his appeal and was a draw, but I don't, I don't think he's on the, the Hogan level for me anyway. But without him, does Hogan get to where he's at? Right. And, and I mean, you know, that you can keep that going forever until you get to like the origins of professional wrestling you know jim, so jim londos who actually by the way is on my list uh, oddly enough who would you say was a bigger draw at the time would it have been bruno or would it have been flair because as you know nwa champion going through you know the late part of the 70s into the 80s and whatnot flair was traveling around and doing like the whole nationwide scene here comes the nwa champion selling out two buildings a night he's on my list too the nature boy definitely uh I who would like... you say was a bigger draw was it bruno or was it flair that's a hard one because flair was more globally drawing like everywhere like hey st louis hey you know whatever Bruno Kansas was City, down to Memphis, yep. down, yep. down to Georgia. Yeah. I might have to go flyer, but you know, Bruno was basically New York. Occasionally he'll go out to Japan and, and he'll do a show in Pittsburgh and you know, just random Northeast stuff really. But flair was everywhere. I mean, phew, I mean, that's schedule. Down, wow. yeah, you go down to Florida. He's selling, he's selling out of Florida, go to Atlanta. He's selling Atlanta. So you got to get flyers due. Definitely up there for sure as one of the big draws maybe not as far as tv wise although if you go into the nitro era always consistently had one of the best tv ratings he was a tv rating guy for how many time. times did bischoff go back to flair yep like he would fire rick flair and then like ratings would slip a little bit bring back flair it's funny because flair wasn't the pay-per-view guy like hogan was the pay-per-view guys mm -hmm. if you didn't have hogan on the show you, you're losing hundred thousand viewers which is nuts to say but it's true if you look at the numbers it's like oh wow how come this show like you go slambery 96 wow it only did 110,000 uncensored 96 you know the month before uh or whatever you know a few months before it did two hundred and sixty thousand. Oh, hogan was on that one hogan's not on that one so there is definitely that hogan um pay-per-view appeal but it was weird he's more box office flair was more like the ratings guy even like they would throw flair sting out there and it would always get a good rating on a nitro obviously clash of champions did it did a great rating but they'd throw it out there nitro always get a good rating i just thought that was kind of funny it's like he's like the tv guy where people love watching him on the tv which makes you draw in and of itself in a, in a different way it was like it, it was almost like wcw at the time didn't really understand pay-per-view like they just they didn't think that pay-per-view was ever going to be a thing it's almost like 
they had the foresight to like, if, if they were running that business model in 2021, it would have worked so much better. You know what I mean? Where, where you're putting stuff like clash of champions, which flares on top of all of them, putting them on a big TV special, selling all the advertising, but it was like, they just did not understand the entire concept of pay-per-view where Vince just basically invented it. And really there's like a certain, I don't know, for whatever reason, there's certain like fan appeal. I don't know if they're used to it. It's like WBF pay-per-views, WBF pay-per-views. Like there's a certain kind of thing where you don't necessarily always think of, although they would do a great job eventually, WW with some of the pay-per-views drawing well, but mainly, mainly Hogan on top. But it always felt like WBF was like the go-to for pay-per-views. It was like in people's heads, they kind of invented the, the genre of the pay-per-view. Well, and, and part of that is cultural, too. When you're looking at the, the WWF audience in those early days, still being primarily a Northeastern-based territory, even though they had went national, whereas, you know, you have Jim Crockett promotions, you have WCW down south with the TNT, TBS, Turner Broadcasting kind of affiliation pay-per-view wasn't really a thing down south you know they, they they just weren't that caught up technologically to what a lot of the wwf audience was they, they pay-per-view was just slower to roll out down south largely because of the wealth gap between the northern culture and southern culture which still Absolutely. even exists today even though people want to deny it 100 percent. so i always say like Hogan, you know, Austin, and you want to throw in Cena or whatever, is, is this big draw, blah, blah, blah. Kevin Sullivan always says to me, it's the longevity of it and who was drawing over a certain period of time, who was on top in the top company over a certain period of time. And if you go 30 years, you're looking at The Undertaker, that longevity, him being on top, main evented many WrestleManias, many pay-per-views, never the guy, quote-unquote, so to speak, but always that 1A or 1B, always was there to kind of support whoever the guy was. I mean, he was there for the Hogan era, obviously. He's there for the Austin era. He's there for the the small rock era. He's there for the Cena era. Now was there, you know, kind of on the the end of the uh, his run for the Cena, uh, for excuse me, for the Roman Reigns era. But man, he's there for all these eras and drawing. I mean, he went out on top still as a top draw, top guy. And it's kind of the same thing as Andre, right? Like Undertaker was a draw all in himself. Undertaker didn't need to be on top. Like I, I have a couple of memories of Undertaker winning the championship, like, you know, like the big pose afterwards as he's raising up the title and whatnot. Yeah, that's all great. But I never think of like Undertaker while he was on top. I never think of Undertaker as champion. Like all my great Undertaker memories are just, you know, like personal feuds between the Undertaker and whoever he was going after at the time. He was a draw. He was a segment all onto himself, very much in the same way that Andre the Giant was. Um, like you said, he wasn't necessarily the guy, but he was still the attraction that everybody wanted to go see. So it's it's very, very difficult to say, how much was Taker and how much was Austin? How much was Rock? How much was Cena? It's because he was just the Undertaker. He was a draw all upon himself. With Taker, do you take any points off with him not being the guy, though? Like, if you're the draw, do you have to be the guy? Like, Hogan, Austin, like, do you have to be the I number one so. guy? I think so. I think so. But he, he absolutely helped sell a whole bunch of WrestleMania tickets. I mean, like we, when we talk about, you know, a lot of the John Cena era at that point, Undertaker's working, you know, maybe one, two times a year. But that yeah. was also the reason that he sold so many tickets, because if you want to see the Undertaker, you have to do it now. It wasn't John Cena where, oh, I'll just go see him the next time they come around. Right. You know, if you want to see Undertaker, you got to do it now. To me, Taker Andre, that's like a special kind of draw. Like you're definitely a draw. It really is. When when people are like, man, this could be um the one of the few times I see him this year, but it's like you want to go out of your way to see him. Then this is another thing to me with Undertaker. You hear that he's doing an autograph signing, right? And you're like, Oh man, I always love to meet him, take a picture of him, whatever. Three hundred dollars. And he sells out in yeah. two seconds. Three hundred dollars? Who the hell has that kind of money? You know what I mean? But well, he sells out. And let this be a lesson seconds. to any pro wrestlers who might be listening to the show. Undertaker was the last of a dying breed. Undertaker held on to kayfabe 
as long as he possibly could, right? He, he wasn't out there exposing his, but now he's doing it, you know, three times a week. He's out there exposing business. There is no more Undertaker. You just have Mark Calloway. But the way that Undertaker protected that character, and he didn't go out and do every show. He didn't go out and do every signing. He didn't go out and do every interview. So that way, when he did do something like that, it was a huge deal. And I think there's absolutely something to be said for that, you know, supply and demand. If you limit that supply, there's going to be a whole lot of demand. And boy, is he getting the fruits of his labor at this point with the, the people that are bringing in Undertaker for personal appearances or, I mean, my God, even that cameo thing, right? Like you, oh you can just God. get like a shout out from the Undertaker and he's one of the highest priced guys on there just because he's the freaking undertaker because he protected that character and didn't just go out and expose everything. It's insane when you think about like, okay, this guy's going to make $25,000 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> to do a signing. It's like, wow, this guy obviously is important to a lot of people. I mean, big draw to be able to get that kind of money for, for that kind of stuff. Just to me, it's like, wow, he really protected himself very, very well. Have, over you, the have, years. You, have you ever paid for an autograph pause? Yes. Oh, yeah. Who, who, who is the person that you paid the most money for an autograph from? Hogan was the Hogan. most. Yep. I think it was, and this is probably cheap now because I'm sure he's more, but when I did it, it was a couple of years back, it was 90 for a picture and an autograph with him, which I was like, that's not bad, you know, for the Hulkster, but I've heard of people that were way more. I've heard of staying that at a few shows, you know, because whoever's running is trying to get their money back plus some. So, um, I think Sting was probably the second most I paid for. Um, there's a bunch of guys that definitely are very expensive. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Actually, I met Hogan once for free. <laughs> you know, all you had to do was buy his book and and uh, and and get his autograph. And no pictures were allowed, but just to, he, another reason why I love the Hulkster. Gave us a picture, even though the guy said strictly no. He said. He goes, who's running the signing, me or you? And the guy didn't know what to say. <laughs> so <laughs> technically the guy is, but the guy didn't know what to say. So Hogan took me and my buddy, took Jimmy Hart. We took a picture together. It was awesome. But just funny like to think about it. It's like Hulk does, does what he wants. But I know Undertaker's charged 300 and I wasn't yeah. paying that. But I have no people that did. And I know – I think they sold 200 tickets because he could only do two hours and they figure 100 an hour or something. So whatever that math is, it's like, holy shit. They just made a ton of money off of uh, The Undertaker, and he just made a ton of money. The the only one – I mean, I, I've had some stuff that I've ordered, like autographed, you know. So, I mean, that that's kind of like paying for an autograph. But the only yeah. one that I've ever, like, face-to-face, -face, like, actually paid for. And it wasn't even an autograph. It was uh, Audio Drop when we were up at StarCast. And it was uh, Tama Tonga. Because uh, in order to to get a deal done with Tama Tonga to, to record a drop for the podcast, I had to negotiate with Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, and Haku. Oh, <laughs> in, in order to get this thing done. And it was like, you know, how much, uh, how much to get a drop, dude? And he's a like, hundred dollars. And I was like, Oh, you know, thank you for your time. And you can turn around and walk away. Wait, 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 wait. So that, then you get into a negotiation with the whole damn family. And I tell you what, when Haku says, this is what you're going to pay. That's what you pay. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Um, but it is interesting with uh, the way things go today with, I guess people have like disposable income. I mean, they'll pay high dollars for all these autographs Ridiculous and meet and greets. Amounts, and, man. Oh man, it's nuts! I'm How much money did the young bucks make off meet and greets? Yes, you know, that's and I mean, one, like yeah. that—that's a name that nobody would expect to hear on this show for biggest draws. Yep, but. How many seats have the Young Bucks filled over the course of the years with all their indie shows, all the meet and greets? Like they were absolutely a draw there for five, six, seven years. If, if you ran an indie promotion and you needed to sell out, you know, your 500 tickets, 2000 tickets, whatever it was, just bring in the Young Bucks and they will put asses in seats. So as far as some other guys I had on my list just to bring it up. I know I mentioned Jim Londo. It's kind of jokingly, but very, very serious. Because back in the day, obviously you're talking about 1930s, 1940s here, right. 1920s, he was a, a very, very, very big draw. Dave Meltzer would say bigger than Hogan. Um, 
you got Luthez, who was a big draw. Buddy Rogers, obviously big draw. Gorgeous George was a huge draw for back in the day. Then if you want to go Japan style, Anoki and Baba have got to be kind of one and two up there as being huge draws. Then some other guys on my list as you kind of fast forward to modern day. I put Mood up there because of how many sellouts he had in Japan and how important he was and how he was really kind of even over in the States selling big tickets and everything. So Muda to me has to be considered. I also put on there Brock Lesnar because I feel like he's been the big draw for them for a while. Jericho, because he was a big draw for not only AEW, but for New Japan for wrestling, WWE, uh, WCW, not so much, but they really didn't give him the ball in order to be a big draw, but he was definitely a big draw all over the place. Agree or disagree. I still believe, and I can't believe I'm saying this in 2021. I still believe if Vince would do it, there is still money in a Jericho versus Goldberg match. I yep. honestly believe there is still money to be made off of that. Sure. I Which agree. is a WCW match. If they would have just done that in 1997. Yep. 1998, they were supposed to have fall brawl and you got Greenberg versus Jericho instead. <laughs> um, I threw in there, of course, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, obviously up there Slim as well. Jim. I mean, yes. Bischoff got Macho Man for nothing because he got the Slim Jim contract at the same time. Crazy. And to see that they're still doing the Slim Jim stuff, everybody knows who the Macho Man is. He made a ton yep. of money, sold out a ton of arenas, sold a ton of merch, mainstream, you know, times 10. I mean, big mainstream. Another guy, the final guy on my list just throughout there, I put Vincent Kennedy McMahon on there as well, just because the heel obviously Austin against McMahon. Austin, but that Austin McMahon thing. And for a while he was getting great ratings just as being that heel presence on the show. I think that's probably the top drawing program of all time would, yep. would absolutely be Austin and McMahon. Yep. Um, the, the one name I want to go back to that you brought up actually two, I guess would be uh giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Um, mm-hmm. I, I much like we talked about with Okada, and putting butts and seats over there in Japan. Both of those guys, I don't think people realize how big of a deal they were in Japan. Even still, Antonio Inoki and the political power that he yields in Japan is still pretty impressive. Uh, I, I think both of those guys absolutely belong on the list. We just can't get into the facts and the figures behind them because... I wasn't following Japanese pro wrestling in 1973, you know, but Anoki worked on top for, oh my God, 30 years over there. And not only was he, you know, the, the big draw for the company as the champion, he was also the freaking promoter. And then they had to run him out, you know, and Baba very much the same way with all Japan. Those guys, you know, without them, you probably wouldn't have this, you know, the big modern and all the great success of New Japan over the years and all the great success of All Japan. You wouldn't have it without those two guys. Um, to me, as far as like considering the draw and kind of, you know, winding it down and going towards who, who I think is the greatest draw of all time. Okay. Moneymaker, guys who sold the most tickets, who put the most butts in seats, who got the TV ratings, who got the eyeballs, who sold a shit ton of merch. Who had all the pay-per-view buys? Who was mainstream? Who's making everybody else money? Can't go for my original uh, thought. I uh, I was not swayed. The immortal Hulk Hogan is the greatest draw of all time. Jargo, what do you got? It's really, really hard for me, man, because there is so much of me that wants to say The Rock. You know, I mean, just looking at in a modern context, what it would mean even for Dwayne to return today for a matchup against Roman Reigns. I think the the business would be just absolutely through the roof, but to think of it inside of strictly a pro wrestling context, I have a very hard time going against you when it comes to Hulk Hogan, as much as that pains me to put racist, sexist Hulk Hogan over, um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I believe Hulk Hogan, the greatest draw in the history of professional wrestling. Wow. I'm shocked. I, I, for some reason, I thought you were going to go see it because Rick, who uh, cowardly did not show up today, 
he picked Cena and was trying to tell me that Cena is the biggest, but I'm glad you came to your senses and went with the, uh, the Hulkster. Nice. I, I absolutely understand where Rick is coming from when it comes to John Cena, because he's, he's looking at it from strictly a who made the most money kind of aspect. And it's, it's very difficult to argue that John Cena made the company the most money over the course of the years but for this conversation when we're talking about actually putting butts in seats when we're talking about television ratings when we're looking at that full package i just i can't put john cena into that conversation he's such a weird anomaly inside of the pro wrestling world i don't know where you put him yeah, he almost doesn't make sense if you think about it. It's like, wait, the guy doesn't really draw, <laughs> but, but he, you, but he sells merch. Yeah, all weird, the financial yeah. metrics for John Cena say greatest of all freaking time. And then you look at the fan interest metrics and John Cena's not even on the list. Yeah. It's it's so strange, the anomaly that is John Cena. And it's a fan interest business. So it's. But is it? Because we say it's a fan interest business, and now fan interest is in the freaking toilet, and they're making the most money that they ever have. That's true. Vince is a genius. That is true. Yeah. It, 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 and that's kind of John Cena's career in a nutshell. It's like I'm looking at fan interest, and it's all going down. <laughs> and I look at the financial reports, and they're yeah. all going up. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? It's the most backwards ass business I've ever seen in my life. And he hasn't been around in what two years, and they're through the roof, making more money than ever. So it's just like, well, whatever they're doing, they literally have you, know, you could say range, but they literally have no stars, and they're still able to do it because right. of all these deals. No, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely insane, and it it makes you wonder if the people at Fox are like, wait, didn't we sign this contract under the promise that we would have John Cena, Brock Lesnar, and Ronda Rousey? Yep, and instead we have Roman Reigns and the Island of Misfit Toys. Like, what? What? And hmm. you look at the TV ratings, and that's exactly what it says. But WWE says, huh, billion dollars, pal. Nuts. What? It's crazy. But I think uh, that's a great way to end it with Hulk Hogan getting the clean sweep here as the greatest draw of all time. I will and say, if anybody tries to hold this conversation against me, I will deny it until I am blue in the face. I did not put over racist, sexist Hulk Hogan. I put over <laughs> Hulkamania Hulk Hogan. So don't even at me, Big Ray Hernandez. I don't want to hear it. Nice, nice. Uh, the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com and of course Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo, what do you got? Uh, you can find me across all social media platforms at not Jargo. Visit me at michaeljargo.com as now we get the Studio 203 back up and running. Uh, Destino will be coming back with an all new episode as we get to talk about Dominion and Shingo Takagi capturing the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. I assume myself and my favorite Huckleberry will be back in your ear holes immediately with the Hitting the Marks podcast and uh, maybe a couple other projects coming up too. You never can always sometimes tell. Good stuff, as always, from the doctor himself. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Jargo, for joining me. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Who Is? Right here on the Two Man Power Trip. See you next. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>